there, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Becca Stevens over Zoom video. Becca was born and raised in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and she was pretty much birthed into music. She is the youngest of three. Her parents both are musicians. Her siblings are also musicians, so when she was born, they already had a family band that was touring, doing different children's songs, and were ready to, to cut a record. She was actually on a record for her family band when she was three years old, and then they recorded again uh, a little bit later, just a few years later, though, so she's a bit older. So she had more parts on, on the second album. She talked about learning the flute at an early age. She started off on piano and I believe violin, but never was truly interested in that until the flute around fourth, fifth grade. She ended up attending an arts high school for classical guitar. She talked about being in a band with her brother, attending the new school for college in the vocal jazz program. From there, she started a band and her first record, Tea by the Sea, was all the songs or a lot of the songs that she had written while she was in college for different homework assignments and assignments for the school. So it's kind of a snapshot of her college experience and the songs that she wrote then. She talks to us about uh, putting out the record Weightless, eventually meeting her husband who's in the Utaka Quartet, and they've collaborated on this brand new record together, which has been like a four year in the making process. She tells us the story of how she met her now husband and the process of putting this record together. You can watch our interview with Becca on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, we would love it if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Becca Stevens. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Yeah, no problem. Mm -hmm. I'm Adam, by the way, and this is about you and your journey in music and how you awesome. got to where you are now. Awesome. Sounds good. Cool, cool. Uh, first off, talk to me about where you're born and raised in North Carolina. Is that what I read? That's right. Um, is, is my audio okay? Do I need to plug in a, a microphone or anything like that? It sounds good to me. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in, in North Carolina, Winston-Salem. Um, a bunch of my family still lives there. And um, I grew up in a musical family. My okay. dad's a composer. My mom and dad are both singers. And... I'm the youngest of three. So by the time I was born, there was already a family band that existed that I was born into and we would travel around and perform for other little kids. And really, um, yeah. So it was a, it was a very rich musical upbringing. I would say. You said you guys would travel and perform for, for kids. Was it like yeah, it was, a children's song? Yeah. I mean, it was like for families. So it was fun for kids and their parents, you know, like quirky, funny um kind of appalachian bluegrass influenced um i can send you I, I can send you the link to the record it's on spotify and you can check it out oh cool yeah I'd, I'd love to hear it that's awesome we actually made two albums one in 1989 i think when i was like 
uh, no, no, no. It would have been 1986 or seven was the first one. because so I think I was like two or three. Okay. And then there was another one in 1990 where I was a little more active singing words and stuff. <laughs> on the f- um, <laughs> wow. When you were that young, did, were you, you were actually on the record at two, three years old. Yeah. There are like little moments where I'll say things like, ah, uh, one more time, like in, in a blues, <laughs> in a blues song. I, I think that was my big moment. And, um, and then my brother and sister were singing choruses and I was just doing my best to keep up, you know? Wow. Um, but it was so you were in the studio all your life. It sounds like pretty much. Yeah. I, I have distinct memories of recording with that band, probably the second record, but um, I remember taking it very seriously and just loving every minute of it. Mm-hmm. What did you start uh, playing? What was your first instrument aside from singing? Flute. Flute. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you don't count, like I took, Suzuki violin, but I don't even think I got to the point where I was like touching um, the string to the bow. I think I was doing all the preparatory stuff when I was like four. And then you just what, then weren't interested or something? I wasn't into it. And then I, um, I also took piano before flute, but I didn't, I didn't love piano either. And then I loved flute. That was like probably fourth or fifth grade or something for for five years or something. And mm-hmm. then I really took to guitar. So my dad noticed me getting into the guitar, getting interested in it. And he's a multi-instrumentalist and he um, had a bunch of guitars in the house and he like really fostered my passion and relationship with that instrument. Okay. And you played what classical guitar? I started out kind of more in like a fingerstyle folk um self-taught and also dad taught realm on the guitar but then Mm -hmm. in high school i auditioned for the the classical guitar program at north carolina school of the arts and got in so that i spent two years in high school studying classical guitar and that really put that really had a lot of influence on my on my approach to the instrument i would say okay and did you were you in a regular uh standard high school before going to the the arts academy for for guitar i went to um like an ivy league prep boarding school in new jersey heightstown new jersey called petty for my first two years of high school and it didn't go well (laughs) were you living there like did you move out of north carolina wow i was a day student like a in dormitories not day student a dormitories yeah so you lived um, there mm -hmm. what was was that like horrible it was like so not right for me Um, I mean, I think at the time I found things that I liked about it, but, um, it was not a good fit. And then I, yeah, that seems like a lot. Like, so you're living, are you ever like, (laughs) I had another conversation with somebody that did that, but they were from like California and they moved all the way to the East coast to do this. I feel like you're all, you'd be pretty much always at school. Like the. I mean, if you're in ninth grade, you can't really leave or you're like, what, 14 years old. They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, it's a weekend. Go do what you want. They, Are you kind of stuck there? They were very strict about you not leaving. So, I mean, they were strict about everything. But like there was like a, a boundary that you, if you went outside that boundary, you had to sign out so that they knew where you were, obviously. Right. Um, but uh you probably had a good reason. You'd have to have a good reason to leave the boundary, right? You can't just be like, you know what? I'm just 
I just need to get some air. I'm out of here. Right. Like, they'd yeah. probably be like, no, 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 no. No, you would have to be saying, you know, I'm going for a sleepover with my friend and here's a signature from her mom. You know, it was. Oh, so you could have out. I mean, I guess, how would you have outside friends if they're not in the school some, that you're in? Some of them, like a lot of kids who went to school there were from New Jersey. Oh, so they didn't live there. Or they were boarding students, but their parents lived close by. So they would go home and hang out with them on the weekends. You know, got it. It just okay. so happened that I, you know, my family lived in North Carolina, so I okay. didn't have family there. But but a lot of kids had pe- had family like in Trenton or Princeton or, you know, near right. na- neighboring New Jersey. Towns. Jersey. OK. Yeah. OK. So you just went. What was the reason to go there? Just wanted to have that experience. Well, um, trying to think of, I think that like these, these were like my tumultuous teenage years. And at the time I was, um, in a house with my sister and two stepsisters and a stepmom and a dad. And it was just like really intense all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, I really wanted to be in an environment where I could focus more on at the time I was really interested in acting, which is okay no longer. But um, I was like reading about different boarding schools. And for whatever reason, the the like brochure of Petty really hyped up their acting program, even though when I got there, it, it seemed totally like they could care less about their arts programs. And it was more what you would expect with like sports college and, you know, oh, yeah. okay <laughs> college prep sports that type <laughs> like of thing the, the swimming uh program was incredible okay. um so i got there and it, it was all right but it was just like i think it wasn't really nurturing like me mm-hmm. the, who, who i am and what i needed to be kind of pouring myself into so i was very i was just I was very like tortured, but until I went to art school, I was very like distracted and, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of ADD, like trying to focus in these classes that I didn't care about and not being nurtured in the, in the way that makes me who I am. So then when I went to art school, it was like the, the guitar thing was kind of random. It was like the best option to go there because I was too young for the acting program and I wasn't too interested in the um, opera program at the time. Cause both my parents were opera singers and it, it just like, didn't seem very cool to me. Mm-hmm. And so guitar was like just the option that was left, even though I wasn't at the time, I wasn't very serious about the guitar, but it ended up being kind of the, the greatest thing that could ever happen to me because it, it peeled back all the layers of the onion. Like up until that point, I was like, I want to be an actress and a dancer and a painter and a, you know, mm-hmm. um, And when I was studying the guitar for those two years, it became so clear to me that all I needed was music and that that was not only all I needed, but more than enough. Like that could, that could be an ever peeling onion that I'm like going through for the rest of my life. And it really, it really ticked all the boxes. So it was, it was a, it was a breakthrough. I remember at like 16 years old being like, oh, music is more than enough. I don't need mm-hmm. all these other all these other passions to be fulfilled right now. I just want to I just want to focus on music. Focus on know? music. Were you practicing guitar when you were at the boarding school or like yeah. how do you Okay. So it wasn't like you just got home and you're like, "Okay, uh, I kind of have a knack for this guitar thing. Let me try to get into the school." 
so when I auditioned, I was, I think I even auditioned with like a Robert Johnson blues. Um, and I was, I had no classical chops or repertoire and they were into that because I think that it's easier to start with someone who doesn't have bad habits than maybe right. someone who's further along that's already like on this other um, tip. And so I was accepted and um, sort of started from the beginning and, and there was a lot of practice, like a, a lot of very structured um, practice of classical repertoire. And I really took to it. I really, I really liked the practicing a lot. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I was just talking to my husband about, these um, practice techniques that we would follow where you had to like first sing the, you get a new piece of music. You have to sing through all the rhythms before you can even look at the notes on ta, 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 whatever. And Mm -hmm. then you have to sing through all the notes in solfege before you can touch the guitar. So do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, there was like this whole system of how you learned the, the piece and structure in other realms of my life had always been very stressful to me, but for some reason in music, it was like a match made in heaven. Like I loved the structure of how to learn these pieces. And it really, it really spoke to me for some reason. Wow. And you went to the new school, correct? For college. That's right. Yeah. But you went for vocal for, for voice. Yeah. And you know, um, between high school and college, I took a year off to, um, sing in this rock band that I was in with my brother called Gomachi. Um, and I was like playing rhythm guitar, singing lead and backgrounds on some songs. And we were like really starting to make a name for ourselves. So I took a year off to just focus on that. And I was also teaching at a, a daycare. So it was like a crazy schedule. <laughs> I was very tired all the time. Um, and then after a year of that, I was really craving um, using, I was really craving like just being focused on the voice because that is the most, um, oh, I'm getting, um, somebody broke through, do not disturb. Somebody must oh. know, know me and they're like, oh, I'll call her twice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, be, because I guess the easiest way to say it is that voice was my first instrument. Mm-hmm. And so it feels the most natural to me of anything of, of any way to express myself through music that, and maybe like songwriting, which I used to make up songs when I was a little kid. And okay. so there was something just very comforting about the idea of going and studying somewhere and just being focused on the voice. And also in this rock band I was in, it was a lot of like loud singing over loud instruments and at the time, I was really into jazz. I would do, um, I was like taking a lot of jazz gigs in the summertime, even when I was in high school. And then in that year off, I was taking jazz gigs all the time and just like obsessively learning the repertoire and playing through the changes and figuring out how to like solo and scat over the changes. And um, yeah, I was just like really digging the the repertoire. So there was a, there was a pull to studying jazz to focusing on the voice and also to being in New York, which mm-hmm. um, at the time that was like my dream was to be here. My sister was here. And also I just was, I had been in love with the city for a handful of years. Um, so 
at that point I auditioned just at the new school, no other schools. And luckily I got in and um, I've been here ever since. So that was like uh, 2003. So it's been almost. Wow. Wow. Okay. So when you Mm -hmm. get to, you finish up at the new school um, and when do you start like, you know, you're, you've led a bunch of bands, right. And put a bunch of records out. And when does that start? Like, how do you even begin when you finish school? Hmm. I started, um, I started that road before I finished school. So I would have put my band together. I would say, um, sophomore or junior year. I think it was junior year. I think it was like 2006. Um, I started dreaming about it in 2005 and then 2006 was my first gig with the Becca Stevens band. Mm -hmm. And, um, by the time I graduated in 2007, my senior recital, um, like the performance when you graduate was all original music. So it was all with the Becca Stevens band and it was all original music, which was a goal of mine. And then within, I I think it was that summer we went into the studio and recorded all the music from the senior, senior recital. And that became this record T by C. Oh, wow. So that was all the music that you wrote while attending college. Pretty much. Um, Some of them like lullaby I had written before. Um, Trying to think if any, maybe Deo I had written before I went to college as well, but the rest of them, like some of these were even homework assignments. Um, That's insane. That's that's so cool. Was like, um, I was in Jane Ira Bloom's linear composition class and off the chart was a a homework assignment for linear, linear composition where every, every part in the song is like its own linear melody. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the midst was, I think a homework assignment in advanced rhythmic concepts with Rory Stewart. And it was like a a mixed meter assignment. Um, The riddle was something I, I feel like I wrote for that class too. Anyway. Yeah. That's really cool to be yeah. able to have those songs and they're good enough, obviously. And they make a record, right? When you finish you're like, okay, not only do I have these songs that help me get through college or my assignments, but now I actually have like a full, like, you know, snapshot of what I did while I was there, like a portfolio almost of songs. That was always a goal of mine um, to try and kill two birds with one stone in that way. Like, I didn't want to just write something that I would then throw away. I wanted to try and write something that I could use, you know. Mm -hmm. And from releasing that record, was it something that you took your band and you played around what New York city at all, or like, how does that lead into waitlist? Yeah. Um, So at that point I was, you know, taking any gigs I could get. So especially in New York, you're, you're not going to get like, high paying gigs at the beginning of your career. It was like, Oh, this place will feed us dinner or this place will pass around a tip jar. And that was, those were the kinds of gigs we were taking in those early years. We were lucky to find a venue that had a piano. And, um, (laughs) and so that was actually one of the big reasons why the early version of the Becca Stevens band was accordion was because it was like easier for us to play. To find um, places that you could play instead of having a piano. Totally. And I really loved the sound of the accordion because I I felt like, especially the way that Liam Robinson uses it, it felt more 
orchestral and full, like it, you know, this like legato really filling the space in this kind of, um, it had like a string ensemble sensi- mm-hmm. sensibility. And so um, we had Liam on the accordion for most of the songs early on. And then also um, similarly, I loved the sound of pared down drums and percussion. Mm-hmm. And also it was easier to tour when Jordan was not bringing a whole drum kit and he was just bringing a cajon. And um, I think the earliest version was like cajon snare the cojone had like a a bass drum pedal on it for oh wow i've never seen that before that's rad if you watch the the music video for waitlist you can see his setup he had like one hi-hat i don't Uh think he had any symbols at all aside from the hi-hat a snare and a cajon with the kick drum pedal wow yeah that's cool yeah i've seen i mean obviously seen people play cajon but not in like not use it as like a bass drum like right And then ironically, Chris was on upright. So everyone else was pared down. Except for him. (laughs) And then he had the behemoth of an instrument to bring around. That's funny. In the weightless video, there's a, there was a part um, where we're all in the car and it was sort of just a play on like our reality, which is Mm -hmm. when we went on, when we went on tour, we often were in the car that's in the video with Mm -hmm. all of our instruments, but it's like, everyone's instruments are like coming out of the windows and the four of us are in the car. And I think the, the like neck of the upright is coming out the window, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, those, those were the days. Oh, wow. And then, uh, you know, from there, was, was it more touring and just, was that kind of like the regimen, like tour, put a record out, kind of support it on the road. And yeah, like I was kind of starting to mention in those days, touring with my band was not my main source of income, obviously. Um, It was an investment into where I wanted to go. And Mm -hmm. um, so at that point I would have been doing a lot of work as a side man, but booking tours for my band because that's where I wanted to, that's the direction I wanted to go in. And then I was also um, uh, taking music related jobs. So I, I, became um, a Suzuki guitar teacher. And I also took a class on this like early music readiness course that you sort of like a music together type of thing that you do with little babies. Um, And it was Suzuki based, it's called music in the box. So I was going, I was taking a train out to the Suzuki school in Connecticut every week and doing a few days of teaching there teaching little kids Suzuki guitar and then doing this like rhythm baby music class with, with little ones. And um, I was a a receptionist at a jazz club, Iridium jazz club, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of odd music related jobs. And then doing a lot of touring and singing with the group called the Bjorkestra, which is a, a big band that plays Bjork's music. That's awesome. And, and just sort of saying yes to anything at that mm-hmm. state, like in my early twenties, I was like, I didn't have the luxury of being like, mm, I'll do this and not that, you know? Right. Um, so I was saying yes to a lot to get my name out there and to make enough money so that I could take my band on the road. And um, yeah, that those, did, those years were a lot, a lot of that. Did you say you were the singer for the orchestra? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What a, I, was I mean, yeah. yeah. And her voice is, 
insane, right? I mean, to hit- <laughs> such a, so they, they already existed before I joined. Um, uh-huh. I remember going to see them when I was in college and I was like, oh my gosh, I want that gig because I am such a huge Bjork fan. I mean, I'm just like, I know every song and every B-side. And at that point, like, you know, I had like a whole, everything she'd ever created, all her little, like the Japanese imports and B-sides. And like, I was like, I know every single song, I want that gig. So I, my, um, my theory teacher was in, his name is Arun Luthra. And he was teaching me theory at the time, music theory. And I went up to him after one of our classes, cause he was in the Bjorkestra. And I was like, I don't ever do this, but if, if that group ever needs a sub for the singer, please let me know because <laughs> I'm like, is such a huge fan. And, um, and it worked out like a few months later, they needed a sub and I came and subbed and then the singer at the time left and I replaced her. So That's I was, so cool. I was already touring with them when I was in college, which was pretty cool. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That debut album is so good. Like, oh my gosh. And uh, like, I could, I remember having the cassette tape of it, like just mm-hmm. constantly <laughs> playing it in my car. Hell yeah. yeah. It was oh, so good. So good. Yeah. Um, wow. Amazing. So when does uh, music lead you to the opportunity of like not having the side gigs as much? Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact year, but it probably would have been, um, I do remember when I quit the Suzuki job, um, like I had a, a talk with my dad, I was getting really depressed because, um, I was getting sick all the time going out and like being underslept and then going out and working with little kids. You're like, you're just oh, constantly yeah. getting sprayed with germs. Sure. And um, so it felt like I was always recovering from colds and that I, at that, for some reason, like even when I was in college, I was able to get writing done. But during that period after college, when I was working the Suzuki job and the jazz club receptionist job, and then doing sideman stuff, I just didn't have any time to write music. Or at mm-hmm. least that's what it felt like. I didn't, maybe I didn't know how to make time yet, but. I um I called my dad and I was like, I just feel like I'm not chasing my dreams anymore. Like I'm off course or something. And he was like, why don't you save up and then set a year aside? And in that year, you don't take any other um, odd jobs. Like you can still do work as a sideman, but quit the stuff that you don't really want to be doing that feels like it's pulling you in the wrong direction. And just for a a full year, devote yourself to what you want to do and then see where you fall at the end of that year. So that's what I did. And that, I remember that being a real turning point in, um, being able to, as you, as you say, like say no a little bit more, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and take myself a little more seriously as a songwriter and as a band leader. And then it's just been, honestly, it's been like a, um, it's just been a constant slope up since then. Like I'm still not to the point where I could buy a yacht from band leading. <laughs> you know? I don't think many people are at that level. <laughs> Unless you're maybe Beyonce or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. Well, that's still a really incredible. So, and your husband is in band and yep. you've collaborated on a record with, with his band, correct? The most recent stuff that you've been doing? 
Yes, he's in um, the Ataka Quartet, mm-hmm. a really fantastic string quartet. They won um, a Grammy for their for their collaboration with Caroline Shaw a couple of years ago. Two was it two two Grammys ago? Yeah, um, so amazing. Yeah, they're fantastic, and that quartet has been around for something like 14 years. Nate joined them, I think six years ago or five years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're awesome. I mean, I watched their tiny desk concert. I'm like, this is incredible. Like they're so so good. Yeah. I I love that's my favorite string quartet, obviously. I mean, I'm biased, but (laughs) I was going to say maybe a little bit, but they are (laughs) awesome. (laughs) When did you meet um, your husband then? So I'm, I met him back in 2013 at the time. I had a boyfriend and I was um, I was asked to I'm throwing that in because it becomes a love story, obviously. Um, uh. Uh, so I was he was in like a, a an ensemble that was being hired to play string quartet arrangements of my music. And um, oh, so wow. They were, they were so- four members of the Dakota ensemble. Okay. And were and, you hiring these people or was like, no. that was done? Wow. Okay. No, it was very serendipitous. So a composer named Steve Prutzman, Stephen Prutzman um, was basically curating this series called the mainly Mozart series where they it's based in San Diego and they choose an artist who their yeah. pitch is like what Mozart would be doing if he was still alive today or something, you know, like modern day Mozart kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and then he wrote, string quartet arrangements for my music and my dad actually ended up writing some too they like became buddies and it's this whole long beautiful story that i'll tell you the whole thing sometime but <laughs> long story short right um my dad and i both flew out to san diego because he wanted to hear his arrangements get played and nate was in the quartet and as nate tells it he had an immediate huge crush on me but i already had a boyfriend and then um a few months later my boyfriend and I broke up. Nate and I went on some dates and it was like too soon. It didn't work out. Mm-hmm. I was still heartbroken or something. I don't, it was like just not the right timing. And then sure. a year later, this is the crazy part. My brother totally separately from this whole thing, met a guy at the college that he was going to um, graduate program that he was going to in Vermont. And they struck a deal to record each other's music in Winston-Salem to do this like bartering thing. And the, the cellist invited Nathan to play in the quartet of that uh, barter. So Nate oh, ended up wow. back in Winston-Salem at my brother's studio and my brother brought me in to sing on it. And so Nate and I ended up like, again, in the same collaboration. Whoa. In North Carolina, my dad was there. My brother was there. Everybody was like hitting it off. And the rest is history. We That's fell in love wild. again. And didn't, you know, didn't part ever again. Oh, my. Is uh, is he from San Diego? No. Oh. He, uh, but actually, he was born in California, um, but only lived there for a couple of years. His dad was... <laughs> in the um in in the navy navy so, or something yeah. yeah i'm from san diego that's what i was curious oh, cool. that, that's awesome that that's kind of where you originally met and that's i haven't even heard of this yeah yeah I, so what is this like done through like a school in, in san diego or like what no i don't think so um i think it's just uh i mean you can look it up it's the mainly mozart festival and um i'm pretty sure yeah, they're I'm still going. doing it but i'd have to check it out because i've i never heard of it and i was born and raised there and yeah, I guess it, that wasn't my niche. So yeah. I didn't, yeah, 
but I'm that's awesome. That's really cool. And Steve um, Pressman was like the the front runner of it at the time. I don't know if he's still involved with it. But the crazy thing is, those arrangements are on the album that you're asking about. So those were those were the first six arrangements: three by Steve, three by my dad, mm-hmm. and then when we came back a year and a half later to record more in my brother's studio, there were more arrangements added on. And then um, another, I don't know, three or four years after that, we re-recorded everything with the Ataka Quartet. And then after two or three years of working on that, that became the record that's coming out in this month, April 22nd. So just in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So this record has been like a, a work in progress for a while. Yeah. And it's our, it's our love story. You know, it's like yeah. it's how we met and it's, it spans the course of our entire relationship thus far. So that's so special. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Where were you um, just, I mean, amazing that you, you, you just had your uh, daughter, but before that, like when COVID happened, did that allow more time to work on this record or is that, did that change oh, yeah. the course of the record at all? COVID was like, or the pandemic was like, you know, the, the year of, or the two years of, of, of finishing records for, I think for a lot of people, like finishing stuff that you started that you never had the time to finish, you know? So -hmm. there was that one got finished. I made a record with the secret trio during the, at the, started at the very beginning, actually started it in January, 2020. So before the pandemic and then finished it during, and then also made a record with um, a collaboration called Mirrors, which is Mike League, Justin Stanton, Louis Cato, and Gisela Joao. We made a, an album in Portugal. And yeah, it was Whoa. just like... You went to Portugal during the pandemic? Yeah, we escaped. <laughs> it was like right How during that work? this little pocket. Oh my goodness. I mean, it, was, it took us like three days just to get out of Newark. Like it was so complicated we had to get a lot of um we had to get clearance from like the portuguese embassy or something and then we had to get obviously tested within a certain period of time and then our test results didn't come back quickly enough so we were turned away and then we had to get tested again you know we were like stuck in newark for three days oh wow was it were you kind of concerned about going outside of the the country at that time or wasn't or is it just like this is a killer opportunity i we're gonna go for it at that point all the studies were saying that if you wore a k in 95 or an n95 that you weren't going to get it on an airplane we were we were still worried but we were like really wanting to to do it it had been it had been almost a year or i guess six months however long of just like doing nothing and seeing no one and this was the first kind of little lull, I think. And so we, um, like at the time, I remember Mike, who lives in Spain at that time, he was like, there are no cases here. And I think things were pretty chill in Portugal too. So it seemed mm-hmm. like a, a good place to be. <laughs> was that a cool experience going there to record? Incredible. It was incredible. I mean, it was like, these are some of my closest friends, like Mike, and Justin are like brothers to me. And um, I remember we got there and I just fell to pieces. Like just, I like wept in Mike's arms. I was like, I haven't hugged someone (laughs) or like been able to be in a room with people creating things without a mask 
mm-hmm. um, or w- even with a mask in it w- had been so long and it was just like the most heavenly experience to get to create. I remember mm-hmm. the, the original um, reason for this trip was that Justin was trying to book some sort of like vacation with his, um, with his girlfriend and, and, and to meet up with friends. And then he was like, screw that. I want to write with people. It's been so long since I've collaborated with the people that I love. So this became our version of a vacation. All of us missed, missed collaborating so much that that was, that was the vacation was writing music together and making a record. That's amazing. Was this, was this new record coming out with the, with your husband and his quartet? Was that the first time you guys had worked directly on music together? Um, yes, yes and no. I mean, it was the first time we'd done an entire project together. Okay. Um, we had done a few things of like, you know, working out an arrangement of one of my songs for like, a NPR special where it was like, a um, I think it was like a Valentine's day, like couples and music. I don't remember what it was, but we like worked out arrangements of a couple of my songs. And then also he had written string arrangements on Regina. Um, so we worked together on those a little bit and he's played in the studio on me, on my music. And I had done some light performing with the Taka, but this was, this was the first like full on for sure. Wow. And with the, the record coming out this month and a new baby in the house, like, are you going to be able to sh- like showcase the record at all in a live environment or is it just going to kind of go out to the world? And yeah, can- we have, we have, um, I'm trying to remember if it's May 1st, or, I think it's June 1st. We have an album release show at Joe's pub. Um, and so we'll be playing the music live there. I'll double check here. I really should know these things. Um, and the hope is that we end up getting to do some touring for this record too. But I also, um, I feel like, all right, I hope that this record has legs, that it's because it's, because it's the debut of a new project. I hope that it's not the kind of thing where just in the first year it's relevant and then we can't tour anymore. And I hope it's more like this is a project and it can tour anytime it's appropriate, you know, anytime Mm -hmm. it's relevant. But yeah, the the Joe's Pub release is June first. Awesome! And uh, is this a project w- that will continue, or is it just like a one record I deal? Hope, or I hope it's a lifelong thing. Okay. I hope it's um, I hope it's something that like whenever the time is right, that this is this is it's that it's almost sort of like a band, like it's like the debut of a band. Like this is right. a beautiful collaboration between this string quartet and this songwriter and when um a venue or a promoter or a person is looking for this kind of thing that you know 10 years from now there's it's still relevant to book us and to to have this music you know Mm -hmm. i love that and i appreciate your time thank you so much for doing this becca this has been great absolutely thank you for um supporting my music and for having me here today of course. Uh, well, last question for you. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, yes. Make the music that you want to make. Um, if you make the music that you think someone else is going to want to hear you make, you could 
end up making something that they like, but maybe you're not fully behind it. And then you're responsible for like uh, regurgitating that. Like, what if you, what if you write this amazing song, but you're not really, it doesn't feel authentic to you. And then people love it. And then you have to like play it at every show for the rest of your life. That's one outcome. Another outcome is that you make something that you think people are going to like, and they don't like it. And then it's like a double waste, you know, make the music that you want to make and that you believe in and that is authentic to you. And that feels like um, an authentic expression of who you are, something that inspires you that you'll be inspired to share forever. Um, That's I think the path to happiness in this, in this crazy, um, music career journey that we're on is to stay true to yourself. <laughs> <laughs>